Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted capital city of London in these current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I am Scott Challoner, your host, and I'm joined on today's programme by Christy Marku. Christy is the co-founder and co-owner of The Brownie Box, a family-run cake shop and cafe in London. Christy, welcome to the programme, and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Hi, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. It's likewise, um, it's nice um, having you um, on the air uh, with us, uh, Christy, and thank you, of course, for taking the time to join us. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is really to understand your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader just for a moment, what does that word actually mean to you? Well, I've, I've been having a little think about it. And, um, well, for me, it's sort of, um, it's someone who can sort of engage with um with a cool group of people with um, with compassion and empathy. Um, you know, I'm in a sort of a unique position in that I run a business with my family. And um, you can probably imagine it, it can be sort of complex leading mm. uh, members of your family. But I think what has always sort of helped me is um, sort of having empathy, uh, being able to listen. Um, I mean, being able to be diplomatic, of course. Um, but really being compassionate and being able to sort of see things from from several points of view um, and also being sort of courageous in, in, in tackling things that sort of might seem difficult, um, you know, especially when you're sort of uh, working with family. You know, sometimes you do need to have some awkward conversations. Um, but I think sort of courage and empathy have been the things that have sort of – that I have found uh, – to be sort of really significant in leadership. Mm. And when we talk about courage there, uh, Christy, when difficulties do tend to arise in the business environment, are you therefore inclined to dive straight in and try and get on top of situations straight away? Or do you tend to sort of sit back a little bit and see how things develop and then take action from there? Um, Sometimes it's a combination of the two things, um, depending on the situation. But I think we've we've always been sort of more quick to act. Um, you know, I, what's been really interesting and in sort of in this current climate is sort of seeing our response to, to lockdown and to, um, to the impact that it's had on our business. Um, and I've, what, what surprised me and maybe it shouldn't have is how, how we responded to it in a sort of a really proactive way. Um, you know, I think you, as a as a leader and as a, a business owner, I think with the with your business put at at risk, it's what I found was it was really amazing how you sort of suddenly step up and and face things sort of head on and sort of I don't know you figure things out. For sure, I think it's. Um testament to people's reactions in times of adversity that isn't it when the chips are down people really do tend to step up to the plate and often responses can surprise you i suppose even though you've talked christy about the complexity sometimes of working with family members having family around you and running a family business that must have helped in uh, some degree to of course um come up with the reaction that you have yeah absolutely um you know i think we all sort of had a 
we were all on the same page, you know, this is, this is our livelihood, you know, none of us wanted to lose it. And so it, it became, it became very easy to work together, you know, um, we sort of, we all understood exactly what was at risk. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned, of course, um, the complexities of working with family. Of course, I've touched on the fact that you mentioned it already as well. But um, interestingly, family members and those closest to us can sometimes be some of the most influential people in our lives as well. And would you say that considering that you started the business with family, Christy, that they have ultimately had an impact on your leadership style and the way that you go about leading the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things I was sort of, uh, sort of very keen on at at the beginning was um, was working with my father. Um, I mean, the way the business sort of started was that I, I'm originally from South Africa, and so I started it sort of on my own. My 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 parents sort of set up sort of the infrastructure, and but they did a lot of the, a lot of their input was made from South Africa until they moved over around six years ago, and. Um, you know, I was I was really enthusiastic about the prospect of um, of working with my father, who had been sort of a a very successful businessman in South Africa, and I, you know, I wanted to to learn from him and 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 grow in my experience um, alongside him. Um, so that's been really great. And of course, um, the business itself um, underwent um, something of a rebrand um, three years ago, back in uh, 2017. Um, I can imagine there was um, a great deal of uh, leadership that also had to go into that change um, in direction as well. And what was it actually that made you decide to go down that route? Well, I think I realized that we were, you know, I mean, the world had moved in a, everything was, was seen on social media. And I realized that we were sort of, we were a little bit old fashioned in our branding and I wanted something that was a bit more, um, contemporary. I didn't really want to be sort of one of these, um, you know, Instagram friendly coffee shops, but I wanted something that was more contemporary and more, and that really spoke about who we were. Mm. You know, I wanted something because the way that the businesses has evolved and the way that we are now, it's slightly different to what we had envisioned when we opened like nine years ago. And, you know, it had become, it's become sort of, um, it's become a community. You know, I think what I didn't realize when we started the business was that really what we built, what we built was a sort of a very strong local community. You know, I'm, I'm at the shop almost every day, you know, I'm behind the counter I'm I'm serving customers, and what has really been remarkable to me is that I've been serving some of the same customers since the day we opened the doors, and so I really wanted to create something that was create a brand that was sort of very warm and welcoming, and said, you know, come be part of our family. You know, if you come to Brownie Box, you're not just coming for a cup of coffee. You're coming to this sounds a bit corny, but to meet the family in a way. You know. We are there, you know, um, I'm in the front of house. My, my mom is in the kitchen sort of three days a week. My, my dad is there in the afternoons, you know, my sisters also work in the kitchen. So you, you get to become part of our experience, part of our family, you know? Um, and so I wanted a brand that sort of was more reflective of that. 
completely see where you're coming from uh, from that side of things uh, Christy and I think that that sort of community feel is extremely important especially at a time such as this where we are all socially distancing from each other we're in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown of course Um, from a business perspective however how has that um, impacted yourselves because I can imagine that that's been a tremendous challenge in and of itself as well for the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we really didn't know sort of what would happen or what this period would look like, and um, and we've actually reopened for for takeaways uh, at the beginning of this week. And um, what really what made me realize the the impact of this of of COVID nineteen was in the de- in the days just before lockdown. It was really interesting to see the way that that people responded in the shops. So I remember sort of, I can't remember exactly what it, what the dates were, but sort of towards the 20th of March, you know, people would mm. come in and they were sort of a little bit reluctant about sitting at a table that someone had just left, you know. So there was that sort of, you know, do we need to, and we were very quick to sort of sanitize and make sure things that everything was sort of clean and safe for our customers, you know. But I could see there was sort of a, people were concerned and people were apprehensive, you know. Um, and and so they were react, they were acting in a way that was slightly different to the way that they normally act. And then the, I think that on um, on the Sunday night when Boris Johnson made the announcement that we were going into lockdown, um, in the the couple of days the run up to that, people would come to the counter and sort of do their business as usual. But as as the announce as the announcements became more clear, people would sort of they were keeping that those two meters from you, you know, and so you suddenly felt this distance between you and your customer, which hadn't been there before, and it was really interesting to observe that, and and of course see that in sort of in full practice now, you know. Um, but what really amazed me in in at the beginning of of lockdown was was the concern of the community of for the business. You know, I didn't realize, I think the impact that we'd made on the community, but people were getting in touch. People wanted to know if they could, you know, how could they support us? Could they buy gift vouchers? Could they, you know, what could they do to make sure that at the end of this, we were still there. And I was really moved by that and really touched by the, by the impact that we've had in the community, you know? Um, And I, I think in my mind, I always thought, you know, we're not like, it's not like we sort of work in medicine or we sort of, you know, innovate in areas of sort of invention or, you know, it's not like we're doing something sort of extremely significant in the world. But I realized, you know, maybe what we do is significant. You know, maybe it's really important for people to have a sort of a safe place to come to, you know, where there's consistency. They know when they come who's going to be there behind the counter. They know that the product is consistent. They know that. So when they walk through the door, you know, I would say for probably 70% of our customers, as they walk in, I know exactly what they're going to order. You know, there's there's comfort and safety in that, you know. And I think maybe in this world that is sort of, especially now, sort of constantly changing and very unpredictable, you know, maybe, there, maybe there's something really significant about that. Um, and I just, I hadn't realized it. I think there's real significance in that, uh, Christy, for sure. And it shows that, 
it's some of the little things um, as well that really do tend to make a difference. It's not always the huge in technological um, innovations, for sure, as you've mentioned there. If we do think now, before we wrap things up on the programme today, about what the future does hold for yourself, uh, for the business, and indeed for the local community, what do you envision the next 12 months holding uh, for yourselves? And what do you hope to achieve as we hopefully move through this COVID-19 pandemic out of the other side and then really look to the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, it's, it's been really interesting to be back in the shop to see sort of, uh, you know, what the, the state of things. And, um, you know, of course, there's there's not many people around. Um, I realize that sort of a lot of our business is sort of based on, on passing trade, people going from, from home to work or home to school, you know, and I think it sort of made me realize that for sure the, the, the near future will be, will probably be a little bit of a, a slog, you know. And um, but what we have been able to do in this time is sort of pivot a little bit. And we've sort of, um, we've come up with a few new um, uh, product offerings. Um, we've started to do um, brownies by post, which is something that we had sort of thought very briefly about, but never sort of seriously about. And it's something that there was a, a big demand for. And so that's something that we've started to do. And I think, I think potentially we, our business will move towards a lot of sort of things that are for the home. You know, we already had a big a big part of our business was birthday cakes and sort of celebration cakes. And I think there will be a lot more of that, a lot more home deliveries. Um, we're also working on a well, what we've called a, a BIY box, a, a bake it from home box, where you can sort of, we send you a box with the, with the dry ingredients and a recipe and you get to make it at home. Um, you know, so I think it will be, there'll be a, a big focus on those sort of things, things that people can do potentially at home. You know, if they can't come into the shop or if the dining experience at the shop is slightly different, um, you know, people might want to have our offering in the comfort of their home. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think there could be a lot of we've already been able to sort of innovate a few different products and I think we will we will hopefully do more of that in the future as we see what the landscape looks like. Mm, and absolutely, I really do think, uh, Christy, uh, for sure, that um, it's going to be interesting to see how those... Um, innovations within the uh, the business develop because it is innovations it's something new for sure and it's something that's really going to cater to the needs of uh, the uh, the community around you as well and even though we are just about out of time today as we begin to move through this um, current period and uh, beyond then it would be great actually to um, in future catch up and have you back on the program just to see how things are getting on and what sorts of measures are having to be taken with them um, reopening the business and that sort of thing for sure Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like that very much. I think it would be uh, wonderful, uh, Christy. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on uh, today's programme. It has been a real pleasure, but also a really insightful experience as well, just understanding what changes have had to be made within your industry behind the scenes. So thank you ever so much for sharing those views, both with myself and with our listeners today. Yeah, that's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Christy. Do take care and do stay safe. Thank you very much. That was Christy Marku, co-founder and co-owner of The Brownie Box. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. And that's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal 
Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a, a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in, uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago, and of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is, are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of, um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they, they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools, 
um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think there the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's, go- it's, just, it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is, is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, it's because, and again, you've hit the nail on the head, because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least, whether they become actions is another <laughs> a thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without, without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market. And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm-hmm. um, and for for UK 
um, savers and uh, and investors. Uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past and we're hoping that we're, we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of, uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up 
exponentially. Our criticism is that you know we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or you know the lifeboat funds to pay you know recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays, but. The polluters have have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken, um, and and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big, so that. You know what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine: well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it, and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalising a paper, uh, which we. Um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe, FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process. And we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I, I know there's no such thing as a, a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if, let's imagine, let's, let's imagine you did have one, just for, the, just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system. In terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform, yes. you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is, gosh, yes, wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that then everybody will be will be better off Great. now I'm conscious of the time here this is already catching up with us so perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again it's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organizations can that really is be underestimated the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt, and I think that's the key point, isn't it? That that's so applicable to any realm, 
whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think, and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, is looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, Kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.